Good morning and welcome back to Soul Practice, Raw Conversations, Real Practices. I'm Phyllis Mathis. And I'm Kathy Escobar. It's good to be back. Actually, the last few, we have not been together in the same room. I know. Because when we have guests on, which we love, we can't really do that easily in terms of the tech. And so we're so happy. We just so sitting here going, oh, <laughs> Um, but I want to start with something before we dive into our conversation today is that I have two new appliances in my mouth. I explained my mouth saga of just extensive um, bone grafts, gum grafts, new implants, bridges, the whole thing. And unfortunately, a couple of days ago, I got this new Invisalign on the top and the bottom to keep everything um moving in the right direction in my whole mouth. It's not about straightening my teeth. It's about moving things to be ready. And I can't talk properly. <laughs> I literally can't talk properly. Imagine, okay, the the actually like the center of who I am in some ways and like my teeth is already being broken and wearing this clear retainer and all that stuff, taking out my teeth every night has been really hard that I adjusted. And now I have this whole new thing to embrace so it just got harder it just got harder and it's going to be harder I have 18 trays you know so it's going to at least be 20 weeks probably of this and I hope my mouth adjusts which is possible but I also cannot eat or drink anything with them in except for water and so I have to take them out I can't go to a restaurant or anything because normal people just pop out their Invisalign and eat but they have teeth. <laughs> <laughs> so shit. I mean, this is really hard. So I'm just going to be here. I mean, this is part of it. What, what choice do I have except for just to show up and be myself as much as I can and to honor that it is really hard. I just want everybody to know it's really hard. And Phyllis saw me without my teeth today. <laughs> I I feel honored. That was like an intimate moment. <laughs> It was, and only a few people have. Jose, and then my ex-sister-in-law was here, and there's just nothing I could do, and it was fine. It was fine. Yeah. But it's a little traumatizing. Uh, it's it's a hurdle, <laughs> that personal kind of in-your-body sort of weird self-conscious bundle of yeah. crap you have to yeah. adjust to. And yeah. I think you will. You'll be you'll be fine, but mm -hmm. I, I can only imagine what it's like to be here today. If it's so new. It's a strange thing. So I feel I facilitated something last night and I just did it. I just said it and did it. So we're going to say, I said it. Now we're going to do it. And here's what we're going to do today. We're going to share Phyllis and I and 14 other people, um, our friends of ours through the Refuge um, 12 Step for Anti Racism group, and, or somehow connected to the work of our friend Melvin Bray. And um, Melvin has the 12 steps, truth and transformation model, which are really 12 modified 12 steps. I think we've mentioned it somewhere in this conversation yeah. and soul practice um, that is centered on um, basically healing um, and addressing our social addictions of all the supremacies, not just um, white supremacy. That's been kind of our lens, but as we uncover one, we uncover, wait, they're all, there's so much intersectionality. And so we um, went to Alabama 
on a civil rights learning trip and community pilgrimage. Um, this came out of me going last May of 2022 with the Denver Multi-Faith Leadership Forum that I'm part of. I think we had like 20 people or something, five faiths. And I went to, um, our center was in Montgomery, Alabama, where the Equal Justice Institute, Brian Stevenson's organization, has really created, it's always been a place where people kind of went for some civil rights learning, but it they he changed the face of Montgomery with the Legacy Museum and the Peace and Justice Memorial, which some people refer to as the lynching memorial that um, started several years ago. And so when I went with my group, it was really, really powerful. And I was grateful for the experience. And I knew going that I wanted to come back, at least with Jose and some friends. And I came back and told Mary Rader, who leads our 12 Steps for Anti-Racism group, you know, what do you think? And she was like, let's do it. So we kind of planted the dream. We started thinking more intentionally about it. And then we brought it to the group um, last summer. And then we started preparing. And then we actually did it. We had pre-learning work that we did together. We formed as a group. And then um, we actually met for the first time. Um, all of us in the same space. We lost one of our friends to a family emergency. That was really hard on us because we were, you know, we were the heart I want to communicate. We were this group that was taking this, doing this experience together. Um, but 16 of us landed in Montgomery and um, on Ash Wednesday, the 22nd of February. And then we um, engaged with things in Montgomery. And then we went to Birmingham and ended in Selma. Alabama. So that's what we're going to talk about today. It was big. So I'd love to like share what that was all like for you for the first time. And yeah. Well, look at me if I go on too long because I have a tendency <laughs> to do that. But I, um, it was really a profound experience. And first, I just want to say hats off to Alabama. Yeah. I mean, to make themselves the center of that kind of learning and to facilitate that for people who come through and want to learn. That that respect, all the respect, I have to say. Um, and then the container that you and Mary set, Kathy, um, I just wanna say it was fantastic. And the reason I bring that up is because um, you need a safe enough place to be able to fully feel all of the things, taking all the information and process it. And if you don't feel safe in the container, then it limits the the, the amount of benefit you can get from it. So um, you built in processes to be grounded in our bodies and to reflect on what we learned mm -hmm. basically before and after each experience. And to be able to do that all together and look each other in the eyes and just say, here's what that, here's a word that I came away with. Here's what impacted me. And then to remember to be in our bodies and grounded in them. It just made for the maximum experience and amount of honoring that we were capable of doing. So, <clears throat> so that's two things I wanted to say right away. 
And then the third thing was I felt honored to be able to honor. And I don't know how much of this I'm going to be able to say without tears, but um, <clears throat> but um, I'm always looking at uh, this sense of powerlessness mm -hmm. around uh, systemic supremacy issues <clears throat> and how embedded I am in them in the system and how they are so embedded in me. And so this sense of powerless, like, what can I do? What can I do? Um, it occurred to me that that learning and immersing in the history and honoring the ones who suffered is something I could do. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be fully present for at least that. Like, that was kind of the least I could do. But um, it would, ended up being really powerful. So um, I don't know exactly what I want to say, except that um, I've been in the 12-step group for two years. Yeah, two seasons. And um, a little bit of the frustration for me being in the group is like, I don't know, I don't have a context for digesting material because I, you know, I like to say I'm a little whitey white girl from whitey white South Dakota <laughs> who uh, grew up and married into whiteness and then lived in the suburbs, in white suburbs, pretty much for my whole life, um, including today. And I live in a really white suburb and I have not immersed myself in diverse uh, <laughs> communities, personally, haven't. And so as I'm going through the material, I'm trying to digest it. I'm trying to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm coming up with no places of contact mm -hmm. or interaction um, so I can you know, really get to the, to the place where it lives inside me. So it was great to, to go to Alabama and to be in the legacy museum and to, um, to just be, they did such a masterful job of allowing, you know, setting a, a container to, to be immersed in the sights, the sounds, the emotions, the stories, the facts, um, and to, to let it impact yeah. you. So the very first experience walking into the Legacy Museum is this giant video wall of nothing but ocean waves yeah. and not on the shore. Mm. And I thought that was really curious. And then a very simple statement that said 12 million Africans were stolen, were kidnapped, and transported to the North American continent between these certain dates. 12 million human beings. Two million of them died before they even got here. And the, the impact of the waves and losing your life like that and just the idea that there are two million bodies at the bottom of the ocean between Africa and North America. For some reason, that started it. Like that was the intro and perfect mm -hmm. intro to, to everything I learned from then on. And so that was the big moment of impact for me. Um, and it's, I don't know what I, 
what else do I want to say? So jump in because yeah, I'm like, no, that was I mean, I, the, my first this, moment. This is, I mean, kind of what you're expressing kind of nails it. It's that it's hard to put words. It's hard to put words. And there is something about how, in my opinion, um, the Equal Justice Initiative tells that story that's experiential. That is different than some museums. There's really good museums. So the African-American History Museum in D.C., I went with Josh and Jose last year, and it was amazing. I'm glad I went. I went right after my trip, actually, to Alabama last year, and it was wonderful. I'm glad I went, but it was different. And there's, um, and so, you know, in the conversation, we can't capture all the things, but I think what you're pointing to, and I experienced as well, is just this, like, magnitude. Yeah. That is not a head game. Yeah. You can kind of see that number somewhere. You can see the number somewhere. We've heard that number. But it's different when it comes with this experience. And then I can't remember if it's before or after that is um, this amazing sculpture exhibit of all these people whose lives were lost. And so like the one where there was a mom holding her baby. I mean, I just lost my shit. Yeah. In that moment. And it's like, oh my gosh, these are, no, these are not um, a statistic. These were human beings stolen and, um, and ravaged and tried to ruin um, out of greed and economic power and kind of that, um, that's what they're going for. They're helping us not have it be distant and not having it just be facts. And I want to say this because the next thing after that is something that was just so horrifying and so helpful is that they have this little video that shows the um, transatlantic slave trade and by year and the numbers. And they have these little dots that kind of go um, from Africa, from the West Coast of Africa over to the different places in the Americas. And then you see the ticker and then pretty soon it's just like this flood of dots and they just keep going, going, going. And then the second screen is the domestic slave trade. So really, I didn't even get until I was there last year. It was news to me. Yes. And so this is a really core thing is that slavery had ended international transatlantic slave trade. And it just it actually just ramped up in the United States to a whole new level in breaking up families and moving them around, primarily in the South, in significant ways. And, you know, when we are in Montgomery, it's a really pretty city in some ways. It's on the water. It's got this river running through. And the reality is, is that boats after boat after boat after boat after boat pulled up move slaves, slaves people, and then transported them to warehouses to be sold. And Montgomery was the center of that. It was like top, top person or top dog in this department. And, you know, it's, it's all underground. There's like tunnels and there's buildings that just look like buildings. And that's what they were 
And then there's also in the city center of Montgomery, there is this beautiful fountain. Yeah. It's in a place that was an auction block. And um, and then there's a sign from the um, state of Alabama that says this is the center of our city and commerce or something, you know, uh, and then there's a, another sign across the street from Equal Justice Initiative that says this, that place over there is where people were sold and where you're standing is where there was a warehouse where they were. And so that, those two narratives for me is like probably the biggest thing. And it's just a story we have been told is false. And it's impossible to argue with that now. If you go, uh, you know, I just want to say, if you want to argue with me about racism in America, go to the Legacy Museum and the, the Peace and Justice Memorial and then let's talk and let's have a conversation it's So good, because it's impossible to argue. It was so well done. Yeah. And the other thing about it is the graciousness in which it is presented. Mm-hmm. So it, there's not, it's not in, it's not there to induce shame. It's not there to, I don't know. It's just here, here's the unvarnished truth mm-hmm. in language that is not inflammatory with documentation the whole way through and people's lived experience so it's impossible to argue with it it's so true that's why like it's so you know for those of you that maybe didn't know about it or kind of heard about it because you saw just mercy and like you know that book read the book or just kind of in this like out there way i think that that's why the pilgrimage part matters because even us, I mean, I want to say out loud, there's like, why are you spending your money to bring 16 people? You know, everyone paid kind of a lot of money to go. It wasn't that expensive, but it was expensive. It's a privileged thing yeah. to get to go. Yeah. And um, when I was there last year, one something that was really significant is the mayor of Montgomery came and talked to our group because of the, um, you know, our, our unique thing from mm-hmm. Denver, Colorado, um, multi-faith leaders. And he's the first black mayor ever elected in Montgomery in 2019. So, and he's amazing. And he's like, we are so grateful for the work of EJI because it's changing our city and it's changing America because it is a site that really helps us in bo- like get in our bodies in a different way not just in our heads the magnitude of the truth of the story of the united states of america and i will say i never wanted to go to alabama ever i was like that's a state i can just avoid alabama mississippi i'd gone to tennessee for a couple things but you know i'm just not a fan because i suffer from the lie of northern supremacy it's really strong for me. I'm a Western girl from California, for goodness sake, you know, all those things. And part of the work in the 12 steps, which I'll read here in a minute, um, maybe we can just read them together. I think they're good to hear because they kind of are the essence of the, some of the works that we're trying to do. And um, a piece was Melvin Bray told our group, hey, I one thought to ponder is even though it's easy to say it's in Alabama, 
So we're going to go there. It's everywhere. Yeah. So why don't you do a little homework that is like looking at where places of oppression occurred in the places where you grew up or where you live now. So I did my assignment and, you know, I looked up California and it's bad people. Yeah. It's bad. I mean, it was teetering on being a, a, a slave state. I mean, they wrestled with that. They didn't just go, we're in, like we kind of think we were, oh, we are so much better than everybody. They, they truly like came close to going that direction, but they also lynched hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of um, people of Mexican descent and um, Chinese immigrants who were there working in um, the Wild West. And so there's, you know, multiple things. There's a town, a town where my dad lived, it's called Hangtown. They took Hangtown, the um, image of a noose, out of their logo in 20 freaking 20. Wow. And they didn't want it. And there were some young people, black activists who worked for it, but they didn't want it. They're like, this is part of our history. So I think for me, that I, why I mentioned this is just like the untangling and that settling in about being in all of our DNA. It's in us. And that humility, not shame, is the way out. And um, we actually prefer shame because it's easier. It's easier. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I was thinking, um, I want to I wanna talk about this one thing that's very personal yeah. to me because it really was the highlight of the trip. And that was, that was my conversation with Melvin on mm -hmm. the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And he just, he wanted to know, why are you doing this work? Why are you doing it? And where do you think you're going to go with it? And I, um, I was able, because he asked the question and invited me to process it, it helped me process it. Mm -hmm. um, and in the moment, because it's like, I kind of don't know, like my yeah. first, and I was trying to be as honest as possible. <laughs> I wanted to say, well, I don't want to do it. I don't. Yeah. And I never have really wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. And, um, but um, I think because he, asked me all those questions um I was able to process through and talk about it through my own personal uh, embodied experience I guess and I think that was different for him because he's more of an activist and an educator um and I'm a psych psychotherapist so everything I'm I run through the the context of what is the effect, what's happening inside you and how are you digesting it and how are you integrating that? And then how does that affect your daily experience and then the choices that you make? So, you know, roll my eyes, you know, I get to do that because I'm, I'm, uh, um, that's what white people do, but I, that's who I am. So I, I, I was trying to articulate it from that and, um, and I'm, you know, I was really struggling with it, but I, I think what I was able to get in touch with as a result of that conversation was what I was hoping for it without knowing it, which is to, to be become, to be in touch with my embodied experience of white 
systemic whiteness, systemic privilege, systemic, you know, whatever. That's a concept that I agree with and I, and I get it mentally, yeah. but in my body, it was like, I was trying to explain to him how, <clears throat> how my whole orientation personally as a, as a nine, as a middle child, as a white late person, as a, you know, whatever, is that I, I need to avoid all kinds of really hard things because I don't have the equipment to process them. Mm. Um, didn't have a container in which to articulate and, and be seen or be held in them. And so my, my whole life has been, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to not ha go there because it overwhelms me, whatever that there is. And it's not just about racism, it's about all kinds of things. And, and it left me living kind of in this ether on top of all kinds of stuff inside my body. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so I was trying to explain to him how my personal reason for being on this journey was to get to expand my capacity to embrace my whole humanity and so mm. um i i was able to to say it feels like i'm melting and then i realized that my a lot of my personal experience around how i deal with have learned to deal with the world is sitting on top of an ice block mm. and making sure that it doesn't mm. melt oh, you know so good that leaves, if it goes from my you know from my uh shoulders down to my belly button, let's say, um, then there's a lot of me I don't have access to. And so I think that's what it has felt like for me to have been living my life in a, a system of avoidance and not taking responsibility and not having to deal with other people. And on top of that, I get to be a psychotherapist. So I think part of the Part of the way that I coped with that was to vicariously work through other people's <laughs> stuff and learn that way and increase my humanity by being honored to be in other people's stories. But I think, I'm not sure that that's making sense, but I, to, to you or anybody who's listening. No, it is. I mean, I think I'm tracking. Yeah. So, so I, I walked away from the conversation going, I think I just described what, what systemic white supremacy maybe feels like in our bodies, mm -hmm. in my body anyway. And the effect of it is to constrict our humanity. And what I experienced on the trip by, by having uh, the, the experience of in a safe place, allowing truth to infiltrate the block of ice mm -hmm. and to start to melt that was, I, I increased, my capacity to my humanity, I feel it in my body. I feel the energy of, of um, welcoming that part of my history as miserable as it is, as horrible as it is. I experience my aliveness more in my humanity more. And what I was, I guess, afraid of was hard, but it was not life-threatening and it expanded my capacity mm. as a human to be present and to participate in what's true about us as white people and as Americans. Ah, 
It's so good because it really reminds me of why embodied work is so central to everything. So that's really the essence of it. Yeah. It is in, uh, the language that you have, like increasing our capacity and that that does not come through our head. It comes through experience and Resma Medican, my grandmother's hands, you know, so many of the things are about being able to, you know, honor our white bodies and be open so that then we can do some of the ongoing work of being more open and healing. And then healing, I mean, this is a piece that leads to better practices. It's none of this is just for the sake. Yeah. Of feeling better. Yes. Yeah. But we have to be be more resilient and able to do it. Otherwise, we're just going to keep spinning around the same shame cycles and denial to take care of ourselves. Well, and I'll I have to say this: it's not the point of it, but really, systems of supremacy affect everyone. Yeah. So I uh, one of the things that hit me too about the about the process. About what I learned is that to uh, sustain a slave-based economy, you as, as a person who's using enslaved people to make a living, you have to have a commitment, a deep commitment to brutality and violence. And that was that was like really. I don't even have a word for it, but that hit me really hard. How would a person, a regular person who's trying to make a living, I guess, sustain a group of people? You have to be on it all the time. You have to be threatening. You have to be ready to do violence at any moment and, and commit violence on a regular basis to sustain that thing that enables you to do your commerce. Mm -hmm. So as I was thinking back to how, how does a person get like that? Well, that is the legacy of, of Western European history mm -hmm. is violence, hierarchy and power structures that are sustained through warfare and violence, conquering and just rolling over people. So it was a setup to establish in the new world that whole thing all over again. And here we are, let's be honest, it's 2023 and it's just the same with a different twist. Oh, absolutely. And that the pain of that and like what we are experiencing in our current culture and it's different. I mean, that's the whole part of it is that it's different now, manifests differently, but there is a commitment to, and this is part of the steps of being on top, an addiction to being on top and all roads do lead to power. It's the project I'm starting to work on. I have something coming out in 2025 on this, all roads lead to power and the reality of it even though it's changed, it's still so pervasive. And what 2016 and Donald Trump just all he did was illuminate it. Oh yeah, just say it right out loud. Yes. And so, but 
that is, you know, if you take, I love what you're saying, because it, it, that commitment, I mean, that is like strong commitment to maintain it. So what it will take for us in terms of commitment to be healthier human beings and to be able to do truth telling and hold truth telling without it being personal mm -hmm. that leads to repair, which repair comes through first our health, greater health. We never arrive. It's not like a, you know, you get here and then you can do other things. It's always happening at the same time. That's the power of the 12 steps. You can work the 12 steps when you're just beginning to think about the 12th step, when you're just starting to think about the first step. Okay. Yeah. That's how it works because they all are connected and 12th is kind of giving back and, you know, sharing. And so like, you don't have to like go through it all before you can do this. And actually the doing that, some of the practice is what helps us keep breaking down our denial. Yeah, you can tell I'm ready. To, I want to say do, <laughs> yeah. um, and then we'll make well, a transition. Yeah, I just want to say one thing, and it was mentioned throughout the trip is that uh, it's it's all about money, mm. money and power. Mm -hmm. And I just heard a quote by Malcolm X today somewhere that says there is no capitalism without racism. Mm. And I, <laughs> I, 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 I'm still speechless about that. So we. There are systems that need to be dismantled and that doesn't come easy, but it is so baked in to every way we live our lives and it, capitalism and economics um, are power and set up a power system, maintain a power system. And uh, we have, there's a lot of work to do that, not going to be done in our lifetime i'm sure but it is about dismantling all of these kinds of systems and how do you do that how do you reform yeah. uh, ourselves and our society when everything we do depends on it yeah it's built on it well the last thing i want to say before we transition is that um right along with that is um male supremacy and patriarchy and that thing that had held in place. And one of the most impactful things for me the first time and then another level of this is the reality of white women. Um, and as a white woman who's dedicated, progressive, educated, straight, married, you know, all the things white women, like almost stereotypical in the things, yeah. progressive, that has been really painful for me as a white woman who's worked really hard to get her voice, help other people get their voice, you know, other women, raise them up, all those things. And kind of not really understanding in a deeper place in my story of the um, plight of black women related to white women and what white women did in this story. And, um, and I hate it. I hate the truth. I hate the truth that white women were able to vote in the 1920s and black women didn't get to vote until the 60s. And I hate that um, many people were lynched from looking at a white woman or accidentally touching their hand or asking for a drink of water. 
And so the white reason why I say it here is that instead of being defensive about that for myself, it really is like getting in touch with the truth of the story and then the ravages of patriarchy. And that women were complicit in that mm -hmm. because of the structures. Mm -hmm. There was a lot on the line for them too, you know, in a different way. And so like just how much healing we all need to keep doing. And it is lifetime work and it is not about a book. <laughs> Everyone wants a book, you know, and it's not that the books won't help us. This is untangling from all the things that constrain us to be a healthy, equitable society. And that's why Melvin's 12 steps, in my opinion, are so solid yeah. and practical. So I just want to end on this, at least saying them out loud. Um, and so why don't we just read them? Yeah, let's just read them back and forth. This is the 12 steps truth and transformation model from Melvin Bray. His work is on collaborantconsulting.org is a good place to go read some more. The first one is we admit that supremacist logic in sundry forms has been core to Western culture as a whole, as well as in the development of our own particular nation, society, community, and sense of self. And whereas we are powerless to control the people and the circumstances into which we are born and the ways they have shaped us, we do have power to change its persistently inequitable outcomes. Ooh. Yeah. Step two, we realize we can't make the journey to better by ourselves. It will require strength beyond just our own. Three, we routinely ask our evolving community, professional support, and or God, as we understand God, for help in learning to seek the good of others in cooperation with them. Step four, we take fearless moral inventory of our specific relationship to power and privilege and how they have been used to advantage or disadvantage ourselves or others. Five, we admit to ourselves, to God as we understand God, and to other human beings the exact nature of our wrongdoings, not just our thinking and feelings about the subject in general. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Step six, we ready ourselves for the work of transforming our shortcomings of allegiance, behavior, and character, which were previously shaped by our social addiction to wanting to be on top. Oh my gosh. Whew. Okay, seven, eight, and nine. He has ones for the historically disadvantaged and the historically privileged. We read the privilege because it's mainly all white people, except for Jose. Um, for the historically privileged, we work to evolve, seven, we work to evolve our shortcomings, while holding ourselves accountable for growth to those we often negatively impact and while learning how to relate equitably across social identities. Step eight, for the privilege. We make a list of persons who identify differently than us, whom we have harmed, either materially, economically, physically, psychologically, or spiritually. 
are in a position of power or privilege to harm or are in position to and in overcoming or removing structural impediments to equity and we become willing to make amends or be of assistance <clears throat> to them all. Nine, we make a direct amend to those we harm wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others, and give material aid in removing whenever possible, or if not overcoming structural impediments wherever identified. Step 10, we continue to reflect on <clears throat> our evolving allegiances and behaviors and their impact on others. And when we are wrong or complacent, promptly admit it and make amends. Step 11, we promote and participate in communal reparation, defense, solidarity, and construction efforts on behalf of those historically disadvantaged or marginalized by structures and systems that advantage or privilege others. This is hard to read because we have something on top of it. Okay, step 12. Having begun a journey of truth and transformation, we seek to reimagine possibilities for how we relate to one another. Thank you. <laughs> relate to one and, another. And to invite. And to invite others in the. Into the practices of equity together or something. And I'm so sorry. <laughs> we, we have this weird coffee over it and I don't want to take time. Yeah. to find it but it is about we seek to reimagine and we invite possibilities others. yes and to invite others into it um so um, those are all on his website they're guiding and they're uh here's the part you don't just go oh whoo went through those <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> yeah. we come back over and over and over again and so we hope that um first of all well, let's just shift and end how we always end. Last thought for the soul. It's a lot. I know. Um, be open to expansion. Expansion. Mm -hmm. Your soul is so ready for you to be wholly human. Mm. Love it. Practice. Honestly, go read these. And join us. And join us. You're welcome. It's on Zoom on Monday night, two, two Mondays a month, 7 p.m. Mountain Center time on Zoom. You're welcome. Just reach out. And then I think the other practice is to keep showing up and practicing, like whatever that looks like, whether it's just like being comfortable in a hard conversation or, you know, speaking out or doing some healing work, whatever it is, like keep practicing melvin said it equity is a practice equity is a practice all right thanks for listening everybody we look forward to next time